countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, welcome back to the last comic shop where we open up the shop to newbies in order to help them find their way under that comic book tent, as well as keep the lights on for the oldies trying to level up by, you know, reading and actually talking about some comics. I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson, and if you're wondering where my co-hosts, J.A. Scott and Chad Smith are, well, I gave them the week off. Aww. And why, you might ask? Well, a couple weeks ago, we took a visit to the last comic shop archive vault, and we had such an overwhelming response from our fan base that I thought it might be neat to go back again and listen to one of those older shows from the dim, dim past. So let's go ahead and get that vault opened now and see what we have inside. Now, as I mentioned the last time we visited the archives, a lot of fans might not know that Chad, J.A., and I have been reviewing comics via podcast for a very long time, long before the first episode of The Last Comic Shop ever aired. And as a result, we've got a lot of great past reviews that definitely deserve a listen by all our new fans, especially those that have been listening to our show for quite some time. I mean, some of our uh, read pile reviews that we do often come from other books that we've read in the past, like Jonathan Hickman's X-Men series, which we've been actually covering quite a lot of the books over the past couple of years since its inception back in House of X, Powers of Ten. So on today's program, I thought that we would go back and we take a look at one of those books from that series. It is the X-Men versus a Fantastic Four that was written by Chip Zdeski with art by Terry Dodson. We reviewed it when it was first released about a year ago. Now for those that pay attention to our show, uh, you might see some minor differences with this uh, episode versus our traditional shows, such as the rating scale has been replaced by a grading scale and there's not really a set recommendation section. But what hasn't changed is our general philosophy of bringing folks into the comic book tent. So let's go ahead and rev up that old Archive Rama 3000 and revisit that time when J.A., Chad, and I talked about the world's greatest comic quartet, the Fantastic Four, Matched Wits against the newly independent mutants from Krakoa. I know you have some other conversation topic that you'd rather get us on, so you've been dying to talk about it. Let's let's hear it. I am all about that omnibus life these days. I know! I've I received my Silver Surfer omnibus in the mail. My Savage Sword of Conan omnibus is... Shipping as we speak should be arriving any day now. So there's a lot to love about this omnibus. Uh, I'm still a bit annoyed that it's got a misprint on it. I think a book that costs $100 
Marvel should do a better QC job with that. And yeah. since I ordered it from Amazon and I live in the Philippines, I'm just going to have to bite the bullet and eat the fact that I've got a page with missing panels. Things. Well, I know that uh, Chad has often talked sometimes about some of those collections and the way that some of the times they get the coloring wrong. Wasn't it? Didn't you have an issue with like a Walt Simonson book that had the coloring all wrong? Because uh, they- That's modern comics. So what they do is they used to print comics on garbage newsprint. They didn't have all those Benday dots, you know, the the four colors. And so whenever they were doing these fancy collections, they go through and they recolor it. And they make it so it's not just those little dots. And the dots look so much better in my mind. Like, whenever they go through and they, they, they gussy it up, I'm like, no, that's not what this is. And like, that's <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah, because a, a lot of the, the artists who, who colored those old comic books, they colored it with knowing what the constraints of the printing was going to be exactly. so they did a you know i mean you're you're losing some of the art essentially yeah those were artistic choices and like i i've got to be honest the omnibus life is totally foreign to me <laughs> because like one i can't have nice things those omnibus are just too nice and too fancy and then two they're so big i that's why i read comic books is because i like things that you know take 15 minutes and then i'm out an omnibus, you look at that, it's like 6,000 pages. Like, ah, oh, that would take me six years. <laughs> wow. They, they make for they, such good weapons. You can just crack somebody over the head with it. They start stealing stuff. You're like, here's here's Winter Soldier right to the face. Yeah, they're furniture under themselves. You have a couple at least, right? Like, would I you say like this? One I bought accidentally because I borrowed one of yours and my dog ate it. So I'm That's like, oh, true. I bought this one. <laughs> I have a couple. I have several. I have like Atlantis Attacks, Axe of Vengeance. I haven't read a lick of them. I, I got to agree with with Chad, but but they're really nice. They they sit there on my shelf. I think my favorite one is the Immortal Iron Fist, and that's that's really good. I've actually read that one. But um, J.A., you you follow this guy or these two guys that just do all the omnibus life now? There's this guy on YouTube called Gem Mint Collectibles who reviews omnibuses. He buys and reviews omnibuses. He's got a massive omnibus collection. He looks like Everlast. So he's got tats all over himself. But from the 90s, yes. I think somebody even thought he was Everlast. Like, dude, I loved your your music. It got me through some hard times. Because people ask him, how, how can he afford all these omnibuses? When you see, like, his studio, it's just wall-to-wall library of omnibus. And not just Marvel stuff. He's got DC stuff, whatever DC calls their omnibus collection. I think they call it something else. But um, he got me into it. And basically, he just – he'll take a book. He'll open it. He'll flip through the pages. He'll talk about the art a bit. He'll show some panels off. He'll say, you know, what it covers, what its stories is. He's very approachable about it, so he's not like making sort of critical comments. Oh, this is a crap story, or this isn't a good story. He's he's very pro omnibus or pro you know the comics. If you if you're really into this storyline, or you know like he goes through uh, the the original Infinity Gauntlet omnibus. He goes, it's great because it doesn't just show you Infinity Gauntlet. It's got some run ups. It's got the tie ins. So if you're really into the cosmic stuff, here's Silver Surfer thirty four, thirty five. I love oh. the run-up to Infinity Gala way more than the actual story itself. Yeah, yes. that's true. Um, that what uh, Thanos' quest, that is a m- much better. And it's only two issues, so you're yeah. in and out of it. Like, well, who cares once he gets the gauntlet? It's all about him getting the gauntlet. That's the more interesting story. Anyways, go on. He really 
inspired me to uh, make the purchase and and go down the omnibus route. So, uh, other than um, the Silver Surfer and these two um, uh, Savage Sword of Conan books, what's what's another omnibus did you have on your menu for? A, a well, they're they're, uh, they're reprinting the Infinity Gauntlet, and then uh, I'll probably branch out, maybe looking to get an X Men one or the Frank Miller Daredevil. If you're looking at X Men, um, I know that there's a great omnibus out there. Roy Thomas, uh, Neil Neil Adams. Uh, run of uh, x-men in the late 50s where they brought back ha- they brought havoc in and then they fight the sentinels again it's got all that wonderful neil adams art so like that's, that's a, a good- that's a great omnibus for you to skip and just get the claremont burn claremont yeah. from oh, shut up that's yeah. the- i'd rather have the neil adams roy thomas stuff any day any <laughs> oh, <laughs> i will say before we go too far away from the uh the omnibus stuff those are like huge collectors things ja we're like yeah print them for a short period of time and then uh and then they stop and then you can't find them and then the the volumes like i'm trying to find savage sort of conan number one and it's selling on ebay for like three hundred dollars like forget yes. that and it's it's weird too because the reprints like why is this that much but yeah. it, there's a crazy thing going on with comics right now where all the speculators it's like the mid 90s again yeah I've always got my finger on that speculation pulse. No, honestly, if there's a new character that's introduced, people are going crazy. I subscribed to the new Thor book, and when issue five came out, if I didn't subscribe to it, I wasn't going to get it because it was selling for $30, $40 on eBay the same day. Punchline character in Batman that people were going ape over, and like. Sounds like a gold lantern. (laughs) Yeah, no, the gold lantern stuff, too. But I will say. the production on this Silver Surfer omnibus versus the old Marvel Masterworks, which I used to have, which I think Andrew has mine, is so much better. They've reshot all the original art. They didn't recolor them. They just cleaned up the color a bit. And they just look fantastic. The blacks are so black that it just looks a lot better than original Marvel Masterworks versions. There you go. Oh, and one thing that probably won't be coming out in an omnibus anytime soon is House of X and Powers of Ten. Although we never, you never know. Why I think they are coming out in an omnibus. <laughs> Sooner rather than later. Sooner rather than later. But um, on today's program, we're actually going to start off our, our comic book talk by revisiting a Repow review from several months ago. As I mentioned earlier in the show, we had J.A. go back and read those 12 issues. But we made him do that because we're going to be covering what is somewhat of a sequel. I don't know. I think everything that came after House of X, Powers of Ten is kind of a sequel. Whether you're reading Marauders, whether you're reading uh, Excalibur, whether you're reading this uh, Swords of Ten or whatever. This is just another one of those kind of spinoffs from Hickman's idea uh, that somebody took and said, all right, I'll run the with the with the ball f- for a yeah, little while. I don't think they're sequels so much as they are just branches and offshoots. Yeah. But I mean, this one, I think, particularly fits in really well. Uh, and I don't honestly, other than maybe Marauders, um, I don't know if you need to need, read anything else other than House of X, Powers of Ten to kind of understand what's going on in, what is it, X-Men versus Fantastic Four, or is it Fantastic Four versus X-Men? I, 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 it's X-Men plus Fantastic Four. Ah, I see. Plus sign. 
Okay. Uh, and it's a book I've wanted to cover on this particular program for some time. We actually were going to do this as a read pile way back in, I think, May? It, it might have been even April. And I've wanted to do it because it has two great, great talents. Chad, who wrote this book and who drew this book, which is one of the reasons why I picked it. Okay, so Chip Zdarsky was the writer. And you have Terry Dodson on pencils with his uh, wife, Rachel Dodson. And a handful of other inkers also uh, pitched in Ransom Getty. Uh, I think it was Derek Vines. Uh, and there's one or two more that just pitched in along the way. And uh, real quickly, the 10 cent synopsis for this particular book is, as they kind of teased, I think, in the first issue of House of X, uh, sooner or later, Charles Xavier in his infinite wisdom or infinite plan or however you want to call it to get everybody, all the mutants to Kokoa, uh, decides that, yep, there's one mutant out there that we kind of sort of need, and that's Franklin Richards, one of the most powerful mutants on the entire planet, an Omega-level mutant with the ability, at least in the old days, to manipulate reality. He was so powerful. He could create universes. That's his power set. And so they want him on Krakoa for what they think is altruistic reasons. So they obviously uh, have to go and, and get him. From the Fantastic Four. Now, this happens after the Fantastic Four have been away. Uh, and as a result, Franklin and Valeria have aged. Like, they're now, like, I don't know exactly how old they are in terms of teenagers. Yeah, they're older teenagers, though. Yeah, they're like 15, maybe 16 years old. Uh, definitely under the age of 18, but old enough to be, you know, to be kind of starting to think for themselves and make their own decisions. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it becomes a battle uh, between the Fantastic Four, who really kind of don't want to give up their son, that really don't trust what's going on with uh, Xavier and Magneto and everything at Krakoa. Uh, and the uh, mutants who feel like it's their obligation to bring Franklin to the tent or at least give him the option. And in all of this, Franklin's losing his powers and Dr. Doom sees an in to kind of not only turn this whole situation to his advantage, but maybe tap into some of those powers, maybe show up Reed Richards, maybe show up Charles Xavier, just do all those kind of things that Dr. Doom likes to do. Just mind f with everybody. Like, that's what he likes to do. He likes to just have his manipulation games. And so we've got some classic Doom. You know, the last thing I'll say about it, it's kind of follows a lot of the same plot lines fans of the original Fantastic Four versus the X-Men book that was released in the 80s. Like when Kitty was trapped in her phasing thing and you didn't know if she was going to make it out of there. Like you really felt for Kitty in that book. Yeah. It's, they play on that here with, you know, the emotional connection between Kitty and Franklin. Absolutely. Which I loved. It's interesting because in that book, Reed Richards also kind of has a screw up moment where like there's this notion that maybe he didn't fully foresee that there would be an accident with the space rocket or whatever and that they would get the powers on on, on purpose or whatever and things kind of pissed off at him. And uh, he kind of does the same thing here in which he creates a device that turns off uh, Franklin's mutant gene for a few seconds so that he can't run through the gateway, which kind of pisses a lot of people off. But anyways, that's the 10 cents synopsis. And we are getting into the book now. And I think I thought I'd start off with my cousin J.A. because not only did he want to talk about Fantastic Four, but he didn't really get to talk much about House of X and Powers of Ten. And as a long time x-men fan i wanted to hear his take on that first so ja what was your take on first house of x powers of 10 
I liked it. Uh, I didn't think it destroyed or, or like threw all the old continuity out in the bathwater. I thought it was an interesting twist, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out because, I mean, it's an X-book, so you know that all these grand plans are going to get messed up somehow. Uh, I really like the idea of Moira Mag- McTaggart having this weird omega-level mutant power. You know that Krakoa at some point is going to turn evil. I mean, that's just a given. Oh, and yeah. Also, they already planted those seeds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah, sorry. And then uh, you know that something's going on because Moira has no desire to see Destiny come back. So that's interesting to me. Yeah. I think you brought it up in some of the pre-talk about how kind of went along with Chad where they they're basically able to clone the people and bring them back to life and everything like that and um I feel like that's gonna come back and kind of bite everybody in the ass in the end it's kind of like that notion that like immortality is never free like you got to pay the piper eventually for messing around with nature the way that they're doing um and there's going to be some consequences later on but that's the great thing about Hickman writing you got like six or seven years to figure all that shit out and like uh, probably another hundred issues before we hop off of the the house of x stuff uh what did you think about how they handled xavier and like because it was a big shift yeah it's a big shift but i think in the context of the book where he basically sees all the different lives that moira has had it changes who he becomes but he's a real dick in the book (laughs) and i you know it's and i think this is another long play which is why i could kind of accept it is it's it, it goes to the whole nature versus nurture because you know does at some point when all of these grand grandiose plans start to fall apart and and krakoa turns evil or this cloning goes bad or you know whatever is in store how will professor x react to all that will he go will he revert to like the professor x of old or will he continue to go on this more magneto-esque path that's what I find interesting. And I think it's it's one of those long game plays. But right now, and it extends to this book, he's a dick. <laughs> They're all dicks. In fact, in this book, I've got a list of one, two, three, four, five people that I thought actually come out so, sort of looking all right in this book. And everyone else is just not so good. So I've yeah. got a list of order of decency. You've got... Franklin, Kitty, Valeria, Sue, Doctor Doom, and then everybody else. Wow. Okay, and so there's a couple things there because with the the whole Sue Storm thing, and this started in House of X, Powers of Ten, when they first meet the X Men and Sue Storm. You're talking about how they turned her into a badass. Like yeah. she's very Mama Bear to the point where she she's a little irrational when she sees the X Men show up. Like the the hair on the back of her neck rises up and she goes a little bit crazy and so i don't know if i would put her in the you know oh she's in the positive camp here <laughs> like she's just as big a dick as the rest of them yeah I'm, I'm surprised you actually didn't put the thing on this list because again the thing for me is always like he's the moral compass of any book like the thing barely ever does anything really wrong like he always has a, a head on his shoulders and he can always kind of see through people's bullshit I like in this book a couple times when he calls Reed out on like because we all have had moments like that and we all wish that we had a friend like Ben Grimm to be like look 
I'm still going to be your friend, but you're an asshole right now. And I'm just saying, you got to think about what you're doing just at this exact moment, not like long term, but right at this exact moment, you're not exactly right. And you got to make it right. And so like he has a couple of moments like that with everybody, whether it's Reed, whether it's Professor X, whether it's uh, Ma- Magneto, he sees through all of this. Yeah. Um, How heartbreaking was that scene with Franklin? Where they're sitting down and they're talking about Reed and like, yeah, Reed's a dick, but like, why is it the only two people he can't fix are the two people closest to him? Maybe he's not trying. Maybe subconsciously yeah. he's not trying to do it. Yeah, I, I forgot about Thing, actually. Maybe I have to sw- swap out Thing for Sue. I guess because it's always just a couple of panels here or there, one word balloon or something where he's like, yeah, maybe you shouldn't have put tracking devices on your kids, Reed. <laughs> Yeah. Right. But that's the thing they sell now in real life. I, I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Dr. Doom. Because, again, you know that Dr. Doom is one of my favorite characters of all time. Like, he is probably maybe number two overall uh, of my favorite comic book characters ever. Just because I think he's just so super complex and there's so many good stories you can tell with him. And it's interesting <laughs> that you put him in the good person camp. Because I... I, I was reading it too, and I was just like, you know what? Doom's got scruples. Like he's—I don't know what he's trying to do here, but like he's not exactly all bad. It's like, that, yeah, I yeah. I mean, it's about me. I think that, issue three, I was on Team Doom. Yeah, like, yeah. I was, yeah, yeah. I guess issue four, there's a bit, you know, Doom gonna be Doom. So I yeah. just chalk that up to Doom gonna be Doom. Uh, I don't want to <laughs> uh, spoil it for anybody, but through issue three, man, Doom was doing his thing and and he was much more rational than than sue or or mr fantastic and head and shoulders above charles and magneto and 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 basically saying look you want to do what you want to do with krakoa i get it but you know what i'm not recognizing your sovereign ability to just have impunity anywhere on earth okay people who are mutants in latveria are latvarians first Mutant right. second. So they're my people as well as your people. And it's interesting, like the my one of my favorite lines that Chip writes in this entire book actually comes out of uh, Doom's uh, mouth, which is, again, I'm going to slaughter the line, but it's pretty much saying like, hey, I built everything out of my bare hands, whether you were you were born with your powers. Like I had to build stuff, dude. Like I, I had to make myself into something as opposed to things that were just handed to you, Charles, on a silver platter. You want to come in here. And I was just like, dang, Doom, you tell him what's up. <laughs> Because honestly, it's really hard, and I'm going to throw this question out to both of you in terms of the initial thoughts. Who is the bigger dick in this story, Charles or Reed? They're all dicks. Yes. But who's the bigger dick? Well, I Who's think, I the think... bigger wang in this story? I say it's Charles. I say Charles, since House of X, Charles has become literally the most insufferable asshole I have ever read in comic books. Sincerely. Like, it's hard to think of a guy that I would like, like, oh, man, everything that comes out of your mouth is just like, I want to pop you in the face because it's just not right. Okay, I I have a couple of thoughts and I have one I want to come back to. So don't let me totally skip off this. But I think Charles is at least a focused, insufferable asshole. You know what his objectives are and you may not agree with them, but like if you were in that position and that's the the side you've decided after all these seeing of all the possibilities that's the side you're going to take you could almost uh, abide what Xavier is doing not like not saying it's the right thing but you can understand why he's doing it 
whereas Reed is always an insufferable dick and doesn't care. He's so lacking in humanity. I know, Andy, you and I go back and forth on this all the time. He's the ultimate bad guy. And the fact that they have him as one of the greatest heroes of the Marvel Universe, like, no, this guy is a jerk. He could be out healing all these people. And it it was in Zdarsky's uh, life story where Peter Parker confronts Reed Richards. And he's like, think of all the good you could have done instead of just making, you know, uh, unstable molecule costumes and gallivanting around the, the multiverse. If he just sat behind a desk and solved the world's problems, things would be so much better. But Reed is the ultimate bad guy. And he does these things time and time again. And we're just like, no, nah, he's Reed being Reed. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I think Chip hit kind of hit the, head, the nail on the head with that, though, with this Reed being Reed. I honestly think sometimes the reason why he hasn't figured out how to fix the thing, how he can't fix uh, Franklin Richards, is the same reason why he was just like, yeah, I built this device that would shut off mutant powers, but I didn't think that it could be used to do that. I just wanted to stop my kids from running through a portal. I honestly think that sometimes with Reed, the elevator doesn't go to the top floor. He's the smartest guy on the planet, but I think there's a certain writers that say like, nah, his elevator just doesn't get there all the time. He comes up with these brilliant ideas, but he doesn't fully understand what he's doing. He's like a kid with a handgun sometimes. He's just like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't That's know about so much the- more dangerous than a focused Charles Xavier, though. Oh, but I, I understand the haphazard nature. Yeah, maybe you could say that. But I, I still think that, like, ooh, the cold, calculated nature of Professor X right now. Oh, man, it gives me shivers to think what he's capable of. And he comes in at the end and mind wipes Reed Richards. First off, again, why didn't Reed Richards think that that was going to happen? Like, he was on the Illuminati for with him, God's sake. He should have an anti-Charles Xavier ray somewhere around his laboratory that he already had built because he knew about that happening but again that's why i think his elevator doesn't go to the top floor ja hasn't said a lick about this who do you think's a bigger dick oh i don't know they're both dicks uh, i just don't like professor x i don't think it's professor x it's some clone of something whatever i don't know but uh it, it it's all a long game i'm sure that mr fantastic already has some sort of memory backup that's going to be taken care of for that whole Professor X showing up and forgetting it. But uh, I, I was going through those last pages of, of the issue trying to find that quote that you had for Dr. Doom, and I and I came across those those pages again. And i got to say Professor X is the bigger dick. He's just a dick through the entire book. In fact, <laughs> I did not enjoy this series nearly as much as I enjoyed the House of X Powers of Ten series. I wasn't a super fan of the art for one. I was I actually liked the writing. I really liked the the Kitty Franklin storyline. I liked the Doom storyline. I'm just not uh, not a big fan of the 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 X-Men. What's what's become of, of Professor X? I think Doom's the has the most level head on his shoulders from a po- political standpoint where he's basically saying, you know, take your superiority complex and get out of here. You're on my country's soil. You can't just come in and do whatever you want anywhere in the world anymore. Not everyone believes what you believe. So f*** off. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I kind of have to agree with him. Chad, I, so he he, he kind of started this down the, t- the 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 pike, but compared to which one did you like more? Did you like House of X, Powers of Ten, or did you like this Fantastic Four book? Well, it's tough because there's nobody root to root for in either of the books. <clears throat> and so the one point I wanted to bring up with Charles Xavier now is it's so unnerving with him with that mask. 
where he has his eyes covered. Yes. Like, especially the way his powers work. Like, he's not giving you anything. He can take everything away from you, and he's not giving you a single clue as to what he's thinking or feeling. Or, like, you don't get the reaction in the eyes. You don't get to see the soul that's in the eyes and the character. All that is just wiped away. And, it, like, I genuinely believe the X-Men are bad guys now. I've always thought Mr. Fantastic was a bad guy. Like, Doom is just a pretty awesome bad guy. And Franklin, poor Franklin, like, he's just caught up in between all these different things. And it's it's so fun for me to watch the relationship between Valeria and Doom. She's a little bit evil. She's yeah. not evil. She's spunky. She's, she's got them all. She's got them all wrapped around her finger. And that's a, that's why I think uh, you know I agree with you. X Men are evil, and this long play it's going to come down to basically Kitty Pride's going to do something because she's the one that can't go through the portals. Why can't yeah. she go through those portals? She's Some- limited by somebody, either Pro- Professor Xavier or Emma Frost or somebody. And there's a reason there. for it because I think that they know if she goes through the portal, she's going to be able to discover something because her power set is often used as a, well, you know, all she can do is phase. And then it turns out she's the most powerful mutant around for some reason. Look what Doom did. He's like, I know how your powers work better than you do. And just like, ah! Yeah, I made her heavy as a stone. That was awesome. Like, I never even thought of it that way. Like, yeah, you can become lighter as air, but you're heavy as a stone. It, it does work. And I, and I agree that, like, the last thing I'll say about the kind of the X-Men, too, is that did you ever notice that, like, since House of X, Powers of Ten, and now, like, this Fantastic Four book, it really isn't about the X-Men anymore. Like, did you really care that Cyclops was in the story? or Wolverine, or Emma Frost, or anybody other than maybe Kitty Pride Was he? she the only other X-Men other than Magneto and Charles Xavier you gave a shit about in this book? Because I didn't care about any of them. Yeah. They were just people that were random jabronis getting like shot at by Doom's robots. That's it. They didn't have any personality. Like Wolverine drinks no. a couple beers. Who cares? Like, that's one of my issues with the X-Men books in general. Uh, but, and admittedly, I haven't gone too deep into them. But it's it's just too easy that all of the mutants would go along with Charles Xavier and Magneto in this story. Like, you would think Wolverine, of all people, would have more qualms. Yes. Yes, that's why I think there's something going on with that helmet. Yeah. Although I will say that one of the most unnerving scenes in the whole book was when he took the helmet off to mind wipe Reed at the end. And he's like, his eyes were almost like blank or whatever. And I'm just like... Put the helmet back on. <laughs> Believe it or not, you're less creepy with the helmet on if that's if that says anything. But yeah, yeah. Anyways, let's get final grades on uh, X-Men plus Fantastic Four or whatever. J.A., what's your final grade on that? I'd say it's, I don't know, it's, it's hard to just put one number on it. Because I, as I said, I wasn't a super fan of the art. I thought it was a bit too cartoony for me. Um, so I'd probably put the art at a C, I'd put the writing at an A. I really love, you know, the the dialogue and, and plot and overall storyline. I put that at a B plus and just from a sort of enjoyable aspect, I mean, would I read it again? No, because it's everyone's a dick in it. Um <laughs> I probably I guess I have to say it's like a, a a B minus I don't know that it's 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 a weird book to wrap my head around I guess it's some things I really liked about it like I really liked Doom I really liked that they started 
going into these issues with where, you know, Professor X basically said every mutant on Earth has immunity and Doom's like, yeah, no. I don't think so. <laughs> By nope. the way, you're on Latveria. Get out of here. Which I was thinking back when they're, you know, the Powers of Ten House of X series. But with the exception of Franklin and Kitty, everyone has no redeeming qualities. Uh, so I guess I guess B minus. All right, Chad. I I will stand up for the the art. I love the Terry Dodson pencils and like that that style of cartooning, and he's just so good at it. My only qualms is when you can tell they were mixed or messing around with various anchors here, and it wasn't all the Rachel Dodson. Like there's some pages that get a little shaky, especially in that last issue, where it's like, oh, they were rushing some of this stuff. Yeah, and so, but it, I, I liked the art, uh, the story. Uh, I enjoyed, and it's compelling, and it's so hard. You almost want to give this book an incomplete. And this is my issue with Hickman stories in general, because I know it's going to be six years. And at the end of six years, it's either going to be a really great story that everybody's going to, you know, or a majority of people will love and be like, oh, you got to read it. Or they'll be like, eh, not so much. They didn't, didn't hit the landing. And, you know, you can skip it. I just feel like all this stuff is set up. Yeah. It's so hard for mm. me to evaluate this as a story because it's not, this is just moving the chess pieces in place. Will I read this again? Yes. If the X-Men stuff pans out, when I'm reading that entire Hickman run at one time... like In an the- omnibus. No, he's one guy where I, I could see the omnibus format working. But like for now, like it was a fun story. It's not one I'm going to remember uh, You know, after this week, really, other than Professor X is a dick and the X-Men are bad and look out. Everybody's just going along with it. Even like Oro. Like, why is Storm... All the... X-Men have been heroes for years. Why are all these heroes? Ah, it's like all a right. betrayal. Uh, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, again, I think I'm going to mirror what you've said, Chad, that this is just a chapter in a long book. Um, it's really hard to look at this four issue uh, storyline and think of this as anything other than that. Like this is just an, if you were watching this as a TV show, this is a, this is a single episode, even though it was four issues, this is a single episode of this grand story that started in house of X powers of 10 and just continues through these other books, whether again, it's Hickman writing it or Chip Zdarsky who picks up the ball here and kind of moves those pieces a little bit forward in different areas. Ultimately, it is just kind of another setup piece for some sort of big payoff somewhere down the road. And I don't know what that payoff's going to be. I will say that this, again, reinforced the fact that these kind of books I will read. It made me want to go back and reread House of X Powers of Ten, which I did. Because I was just like, you know what? This has regalvanized me into this whole storyline. I didn't read Marauders. I didn't read uh, Excalibur. I, I so I, this was the first time I revisited this world, like in these players again, uh, since reading that first uh, those first twelve issues. So it was nice to recapture that, and it's really nice to do that with Terry Dodson art. I love Terry Dodson. You know me. Uh, he's one of my favorite artists around. So I really did enjoy that. And Chip Zdarsky is always really good at just dialogue in, in general, like whether it was uh, his run on Marvel 2-in-1, whether it's his run on um, Spider-Man Life Story, which he knows how to write good dialogue and, and um, things that just are memorable. Again, that Doom speech just jumps to mind, even though I can't remember it. <laughs> but I think overall, I've got to give this like, I don't know, I, I think I'll go with a B- minus as well, um, just simply because I, there wasn't much here. Like, at the end of the day, it was four issues, but there wasn't much. Like, Franklin goes to some Doom Island, 
and a bunch of people are there and some robots show up for a few seconds and Doom almost steals his powers. Shrug. Well, Doom gets a little sliver. Valeria tips him off at the end. She's like, I know there was extra stuff in that suit. And I loved Doom. And they're like, Franklin Richards has these uh, these God particles. And they're like, Doom's like, no, the Von Doom particles. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah. So is it B minus? Uh, and I, I and I hope this pays off in the end. Like I think overall, if this is this is another good chapter, and if this does stick to landing, this has the makings of one of the best X Men stories I've ever read. Just based on the fact of how many things they've shook up, as long as that ending sticks. Yeah. If they mess it up in the end, screw it. It's all been for naught. But if they hit it. This has been a wild ride, and I'm wondering what's what the end's going to be. Yeah, so. I didn't give my grade. I'm going to give it a contingent B. Okay. I think this was good right now, but I reserve the right to go back and fail it later. <laughs> All right. Or elevate it. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. I think it's a bit of an incomplete. And at what point is Kitty probably going to go back to being called Kitty? I'm not. I'm not on board with the whole Kate thing. So that's the progression. Kitty Pride and Franklin Richards, like. It's weird how comic time works. And for the longest time, Franklin Richards was always just like the kid. And for whatever reason, they've decided, no, we're going to age him up like they do with every other character. Superman's son was a kid for like two issues, and then he was eight for a year and a half, and now he's 35. Mm. But like, I hate the way the time works in comics. And now Franklin, he dyed his hair so he looks like the Submariner, and all I can think about <laughs> is that Tom Scioli... Grand design. I'm like, he's a Submariner's boy, isn't he? It is true. He does look like he does look like Namor quite a lot. But no, it's it's interesting to just kind of piggyback off that idea. Chad is. I think it's honestly because there are only certain ages that writers know what to do things with. Like it's like this whole notion, like why people don't have babies. Like you can't you can't give like you know Mary Jane and Spider Man babies because it ultimately it ages the characters and then you don't know what to do with them. You're like, well now they have responsibilities. Obviously they can't run around outside anymore. And then you have a baby. How are you supposed to write a baby? Like there's only so much you can do with it. Same thing with a toddler. He was always that way. He was always the wee little kid until years ago. But you can tell a lot of good stories with teenagers. Teenagers got a lot of angst. You can tell good stories Mm -hmm. with them. So age them up. Age them to the point where you're like, yep, they're teenagers and they're mouthing off to their parents because we all get that. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed our review of X-Men plus Fantastic Four by the wonderful Chip Sardeski and Terry Dodson. Coming up right after these commercial breaks, more fantastic stuff from our archives as we try to put together our best team of X-Men. Stay tuned. Interruption in progress. Now hijacking into ANS 2.0 immersion rig. Now simulating the amazing nerd show. Featuring comics. <laughs> and Batman's like, you're safe here and everything, but the Joker all of a sudden pulls out a gun and shoots himself. Movies. People fight with lightsabers. What the hell do you want? I mean, you're every. I mean, in every one of these movies, there's a lightsaber battle. Yeah, no problem. I'm, I'm going to rewatch it a million times. Yeah. I'm just saying... <laughs> Give me something more. Wrestling. That would be awesome. Oh my god. Just a monster. <laughs> Fans would be like, holy, what the hell's going on? What happened to Jericho? Horror. It starts off like any other like home invasion type of story, and then it just goes crazy. And more. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Dan. And we are the Amazing Nerd Show. Make sure to download us on all your favorite podcast platforms. 
Anyways, um, on the second half of the today's program, we're going to have a quick segment because we the first segment kind of went long, but it was hopefully you got some really great comic talk on that first segment. For the second segment, uh, this is an idea that uh, my brother Ethan uh, came up with before he decided not to be on the show. <laughs> he, he's like, oh, by the way, I've got something else going on, but you should do this as a segment. And I said, okay. What's your what's your idea? And he's like, remember when we did the X-Men draft? And I said, yeah, I remember when we did the X-Men draft. And he's like, nobody else does. <laughs> and I said, yeah, it's true. Like that did happen like two years ago, even though J.A. will still crow about how he won. And you totally won that one. But on that show, we did a draft of X-Men characters. And I think we're going to bring that idea back. We're going to do a little mini draft. And uh, as a result of that, uh, I thought that we would, as the kind of caveat or twist to this particular segment is we're going to do another X-Men draft. But given that we reviewed the Fantastic Four in today's program, what do you think of when you think of the Fantastic Four but teamwork? The Fantastic Four are actually better as a group than they are uh, individually. They, they function better. They have powers that kind of accentuate each other. And so, therefore, they're a better group than they are individuals. Right. And so and they're the ch- one group that's never had anybody other than the thing carry a title for very long. <laughs> that's, that's true. Uh, they have to stay together. So on today's program, we're going to do a draft, an X-Men draft, in which you have to draft four members of your X-Men team. But they have to be Fantastic Four-esque. In that, in drafting them, you have to actually think about, okay, how would they interact with the other members of their team? How would they balance each other out? And yes, my team at the end, I can make the solid argument that they are better as a group than they are individually. That that means you, maybe Wolverine doesn't really work for your team idea. Maybe he is too powerful to be on an X-Men team. It doesn't have to be a book that, a team that sells books. It has to be a team that functions well. And so on today's program, we're going to go ahead and do this draft because obviously, like anything else, once somebody's been drafted, uh, they are off the board and it's going to be a traditional snake draft, unlike some of our auction drafts that we've done in the past. So J.A. gets to go first, Chad second, me third, and then we will rope around until we've picked all uh, four characters for our teams. So J.A. on the with the first pick in this X-Men draft 2020, who have you taken for your team? I'm going to fill out my Sue Storm pick. This is the gel that keeps the team together and the secret super strong powered one of them all. And that will be Kitty Pride. Not Kitty. Kate. Kitty Pride. Okay. So she is kind of your glue, your secretly super powered one. And I yep. think that's a good pick for that particular spot because oftentimes, like Sue Storm, she has uh, been somebody that's been overlooked. But then she's in these awesome comic books, and it's really hard to, to not overlook her in those comic books. So, Chad, you are up with your first pick. Who's that going to be? Ha <laughs> I am excited about this. So, my pick. I'm going to go with one of those uh, salt-of-the-earth kind of guys, like the thing. You know, he's a bruiser, he's a brawler, and he's going to sell all the books. It's Wolverine with my second pick. All right. So we got Kitty Pry, We've got Wolverine. Um, I think for uh, my particular pick, you know, just because I think um, uh, Chad's going to want him, and I think he's a good guy. And if you're not going to have a human torch, who are you going to have? 
who could really be that elemental power that you could keep oh. on a team? I'm going to go with Iceman. I think Iceman's going to be my first pick. Uh, those ice powers, having Omega-level mutants on your team, is never a bad thing. And again, like the Human Torch, uh, I think it, it balances out with kind of some projectile, a lot of different uses for uh, Iceman. Uh, and of course, because I took Iceman, I got to have somebody to balance out Iceman. So like if I'm going with an Elementals and I've got Ice as one, obviously for the second pick, uh, I'm going to take Firestar. <laughs> oh, you're really amazing friends. Well, at least two of them. I mean, I mean, if I'm going to balance off a team... Obviously, I, I have fire and I have I need to have ice. So I need to have the yin and the yang of that. And I think that's going to be kind of where my team is going, in which two halves of these teams are going to be kind of yin and yangs of each other. I could have picked uh, uh, Sunfire, but nobody cares about Sunfire, to be honest. I could have picked Pyro. Nobody cares about him. I actually thought about Phoenix for a little while because she's got fire powers and she would also be an Omega level mutant. I really but I can't get away from Firestar. Firestar is where it's at. And if I can take those two off the board before Chad gets them, I'm already ahead of the game. You just still have a crush on Firestar from that cartoon. (laughs) Anyway, anytime I think of the X-Men, I'm going to go with my secondary only to Iceman, who's the coolest X-Men. My favorite power set. Um, And this is going to be the guy that's going to function in my Mr. Fantastic role as the brains of the operation somebody who's going to be able to stretch himself into a number of different situations to solve a variety of problems, somebody who's going to be able to make the most of what's around. It's Jamie Madrox, the multiple man. Okay. And I'm going to play into his power set and make him something formidable. Uh, Sort of like the old Peter David Madrox detective agency. You know, he's still a bit of a screw up, but like he has a lot of potential and I'd like to explore that. I think that'd be fun. All right. J.A., you're up with your second pick. So my with my second pick, this is going to fill out the Mr. Fantastic portion of my team, uh, the leader and someone who can overcome adversity and through either intelligence or their power set, able to both pull the group and keep the group together, but also determine what they're going to do. And that is going to be Storm. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Now you get Mohawk Storm or is it just regular Storm or what? That's the beauty of it. She can be Mohawk Storm. She can be Depowered Storm. She can be Goddess of the Earth Storm. That's, that's, That's what makes her such a good pick for the Mr. Fantastic role. She's she can have all those multiple facets when you're putting the book together. All right, uh, on the you're you're back on the clock with your your next pick, JA. Now it's your third pick. Okay. Well, sometimes, especially in a Fantastic Four book, you're gonna just need someone who can just pound nails. There's no answer but pure physical strength, and we're gonna get some smashing done. As okay. thing was one to say, it's clobbering time. Well, when you're an X-Men and you need to clobber something, who better to call than Colossus? Oh, see, it's a nice little team you've got here. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think I'm going to do you one better if I can get around to my pick here. But, uh, Chad, you're on the clock. All right. So with my pick, it, the way I always look at the Fantastic Four, I look at them as like elementals. You know, you have the fire of Johnny Storm. You have the earth of the thing. Uh, you have Mr. Fantastic, whose stretchiness is like the air, and Sue Storm is like the water, the one that can expand to fill 
whatever role she needs to. You know, it's the old Bruce Lee thing. You know, when you pour water into a glass, water becomes the glass. And so I need somebody who's flexible, somebody that's fluid. But I also want to carry on the tradition of the X-Men and, you know, having a strong female presence. So I'm going to bring on Rogue. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, I, I didn't want to go with any of the... I, I considered the mind-powered so, mutants, but I don't like those guys. They freak me out. So I'm just going to go with Rogue. So very racist. Be water, sugar. <laughs> <laughs> all right. right so i'm i'm up on the clock with my last two picks and i and again i i, I am going with the fantastic four being like that there are certain facets that they ha- they have to fill this whole notion of the elements so i've got my fire i've got my ice or pretty much water so i've got my fire i've got my water um i need my earth and as jay pointed out again with a you need a bruiser you need a tank you need somebody that'll just take the damage and there is somebody that takes a heck of a lot more damage than Colossus ever did. And that's why my bruiser, my tank, is one of the best in the business. That's Juggernaut. Ooh. Juggernaut is my big bruiser on my team. And you know what? When you have him, as I went with Fire and Ice, you've got the body and now you got to have the mind. So you got the body and the mind, the dichotomy between the two, and you also have to have to have that leader, that manipulator, that person that knows what to do, and to kind of, you know, put that team on a on a tangent that's going to work. And that's why my last pick will be Emma Frost. So I've got Emma Frost, Juggernaut, uh, Firestar, Iceman. That's my team. I got I got them all, and I think that's a great great team. I think they balance each other out. They've got mental powers. They've got physical strength. They've got ice they've got fire it's a great team chad you're up all right so far i have wolverine is my earthy guy i've got madrox filling that mr fantastic role rogue is my water who can become whatever she needs to become so i need that fiery spirit i need that guy who's going to charge headfirst into a situation i need a guy who's nigh invulnerable when he's blasting I need a guy like Cannonball. Sam Guthrie Guthrie. I couldn't remember how to say his name. Sam Guthrie Cannonball is going to be my final pick for my X-Men team. Very nice. All right, J.A., you're up with your last pick. So I think I've shown you up on this thus far, but I don't know. Let's see what you pull out with your last one. You guys have nothing. (laughs) Okay, I've got got water in in my kitty pride i've got uh, air with storm and earth is obviously colossus so now i need my fire pick and this is the person that is going to bring an element of surprise an element of instantaneous change to the team someone who will look different <laughs> and be able to attack the enemies from all angles I think he's going another bad guy route. Another bad gal, I should say. No. Oh, but I'm interested. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to stay. And and when we're putting these, uh, this team together as a, uh, a Photoshop group, I won't have to go very far. I'll just go straight to my John Byrne (laughs) X-Men, pull out Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. Nice. I thought you were going to say Mystique. Yeah. Ooh, ooh, yes. That would have been good too. I, I, I totally thought you were going with Mystique until you, you know, but Nightcrawler as your last pick. So really, in essence, yeah, you're right. You just picked the burn X-Men. You got, <laughs> you got <laughs> it's like minus Cyclops, minus Wolverine is pretty much everybody which was, else. Which, yeah, it, it, for me, Wolverine doesn't work because he's 
an independent contractor as much as he is a member of the team. These they work. They were always the core team of the X-Men. So I really focused on the Fantastic Four being a family. And these were the core family members, Colossus, Kitty Pride, Nightcrawler, Storm. They are so interconnected from a personal relationship perspective. That's where I really focused on the fact that all four of them have such strong relationship ties to each other, familial ties almost. I mean, that they will do anything for each other. Very cool. Chad, uh, so he just sold his book as playing up the family. How are you selling your book? Uh, mine's all about personality. It's the thing Fantastic Four has never had. <laughs> I mean, I've got, I've got the screw-up leader with Madrox. I love his power set. I love that he can be all things and just send out dupes everywhere and, you know, stumble across dupes. I've got the, the fiery, you know, Wolverine and calling people Bub. Like, you got to have a book where somebody's called Bub. And then Rogue, who calls people Sugar. And Cannonball, who also has that little southern inflection there. Um, I, I just think my book is going to be about these personalities colliding and giving you that earned, fami- uh, found family relationship that you know you had with the Fantastic Four, with the Thing and Johnny Storm always clashing. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of room here for these characters because deep down, Cannonball is a character. He's the heart and soul of the team. Wolverine is a character that as much as he puts on a gruff exterior and says bub, he really wants to be there. He could have left the X-Men at any time, but he just keeps showing up. But all these people, they're, they're misfits finding a place to belong. They're going to belong together. And so that's the family route that I'm going with, that found family experience. I think it should be lots of fun. Okay. Well, I think I'm going with my book if I haven't mentioned it before. Uh, I think my book is kind of playing off a different aspect of the Fantastic Four that we didn't even talk about, which is the fact that when Galactus comes knocking, it's oftentimes not the X-Men or the Avengers that call and answer the call. It's the Fantastic Four. They're usually the first line of defense. Why? Because they're used to dealing with these problems the first time and meeting them head on. And, and, and they're so powerful and their 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 forces intertwine so well that they are oftentimes the first first line of Earth's defense. And so I'm really focusing my X-Men book on being the first line of defense. Like what if it's like a what if book? Like what if there wasn't a Fantastic Four and the X-Men had to meet that call instead? So you have uh, basically Emma Frost leading a group of extremely powerful people. In fact, I'm going to throw it out there that the reason why Firestar is on the team is because not only does she meet my rookie, but she's also actually the new recipient of the Phoenix powers. Yeah, that's what I said. Bam! She's got fire powers and she's got Phoenix powers. I'm making her a Phoenix. In my does book. the Phoenix microwave things? Sure. Now she does. She's always fire-based. I'm loving it. She's got the powers now. They're trying to teach her how to use this. So you got Iceman, you got Juggernaut, you got Firestar with the Phoenix powers, you got Emma Frost leading the whole group, and they're fighting people like Galactus, the Shire that are coming knocking. They're the ones that are the first line of defense. That's my book, baby. That's my book. And I and I love it. <laughs> Buy those issues of the Extraordinary X-Men. That's what we'll call it. I think there was one. Wasn't there a book called Extraordinary X-Men? I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure there was. It's probably X ordinary X Men. <laughs> in any case, that's our that's our team draft for today. Uh, just to kind of recap again, X Men. Uh, you have J A. He took um, Kitty Pride, Storm, Colossus, and Nightcrawler. You have uh, Chad who took uh, Cannonball, uh, Rogue, Wolverine, Wolverine, and Madrox, the multiple and man. The multiple oh. man. 
And then you had me. I took Emma Frost, um, Juggernaut, Firestar, and Iceman as my group. So just, just to point out, the only team that you actually remembered was my team. <laughs> <laughs> You're in his head, J.A. You're in his head. Oh, he's gonna never. He's not, he's probably gonna win this one too. But anyways, go out to make sure that you go out to our social media, vote for who you thought we had the best team out of the three of us uh, on this and uh, the upcoming week. And uh, we'll have the results on a later show. I hope you go out there and pick up Chip Sadesky and uh, Terry Dodson's uh, Fantastic Four Plus X-Men or X-Men Plus Fantastic Four. X-Men Plus Fantastic Four. There you go. It's available not only in issues, but in trade paperback. And you can pick that up now. One thing that never came up in the uh, House of X Powers of Ten review or today, is the fact that when Wolverine dies killing the Master Mold and then is recloned, he wouldn't have any of his adamantium. Because yeah. that's not a mutant thing. That's that's a man-made thing. So how do they jive that? That's a big plot hole. I'm sure Hickman has a chart to answer that. There's lots of circles. And I want to see the chart. I want to see the chart. Well, that's all the time we had for the last comic shop this week. I hope you enjoyed taking a look back into the last comic shop past and those fantastic comic book reviews from our archives. And if you enjoyed this, make sure that you follow along and rate our show on all of your favorite podcatching platforms, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio, CastBox, etc. And if you love our show, make sure that you help us out by leaving that five-star review. Especially if you enjoy some of these archive shows. Leave us some comments and let us know that you'd like to hear more of these past shows in future. And you can also find us on our social media to continue the conversation. At Twitter and Instagram at Last Comic Shop. And via the web at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. And until next week, stay safe. Stay sheltered. Remember, we'll see you in the funny pages. The last comic shop was a 2021 Black Angus production. <laughs>